Well, grab a seat, everybody. Relax. I'm sort of not standing where I'm normally standing at this time, so I hope you'll, hope you'll be okay with that. And for those of you watching online, we're doing something a little bit differently. And for those of you who are here, uh, you can just follow along with me. But, but we've been actually going through the Sermon on the Mount now for months. And by now, you should be experts on the Sermon on the Mount. And so I've come to the audience with a microphone for a quiz opportunity. Now, now don't worry, if you didn't know, if you haven't been following along, maybe you're a guest or maybe you've been sleeping through the sermons, uh, that you don't know some of the answers. So I'm going to give you the opportunity to raise your hand, and there's actually going to be some prizes as you get some of these answers correctly, all right? So no pressure on you, but let's just start here and say, um, what is the sermon, the name of the sermon we just finished? What is it? Okay, you got that one, but it was like, that was so easy, I'm not even giving you anything. I mean, that was like… That was really simple. I'm just trying to get us warmed up a little bit. So it was, the, it was the Sermon on the Mount. You knew that. It was the Sermon on the Mount. I appreciate you knowing that. All right. Um, who gave… Anyone over here want to raise their hand? Who gave the Sermon on the Mount? Right in this area. Who would raise their hand and say, I know? <laughs> who gave… You, you, it's, it's not a trick question. It's not a trick question. You're a little unsure. So pardon me. Who gave the Sermon on the Mount? Don't touch the mic. Who gave the Sermon on the Mount? Jesus. Jesus gave the Sermon on the Mount. Good job but not worthy of a gift. Because um, Sermon on the Mount is the most famous sermon preached by the most pers- famous person who ever preached a sermon. In other words, the greatest teacher giving his uh, greatest sermon. Who wrote down, who recorded the Sermon on the Mount? Somebody over here, who recorded on the Sermon on the Mount? You know right here who recorded? Don't make me run. A man my size shouldn't be running. Uh, who recorded the Sermon on the Mount? Matthew. Matthew is correct. Amazing. Well done. Appreciate that. So, but not a hard question, so no book for you. Um, but now it gets a little, little trickier. Now, I've got some books that I'm actually going to give away. Eric, Eric, come on out here so the folks can see you. you. They already saw you on the video. And didn't he do a great job on that video? What a great idea to do the video. So I've actually got some books. I went to the bookstore. Nobody was there this morning. It was unstaffed. So I stole several books here from the bookstore. Now, they're actually Erwin uh, Lutzer books. There are actually no Ed Stetzer books in the bookstore. I'm not bitter about that, but I'm just saying. Um, but I did bring one from home as well that I could share. Matter of fact, actually, people often think that I'm Erwin Lutzer. Many times people come up to me after the service, and they, and they thank me as Pastor Lutzer. And then they say, you know, the sermons on the radio are so much better than the one you did this morning. And I just, <laughs> I just go with it. I'm not offended by that. So, so this is when it gets a little harder, right? Okay, so this is written by Matthew. Now it gets a little bit harder, and there's a book on, on the line here. So let me go down here just a little bit. There's a book on the line. So to whom did Matthew, somewhere around here, to whom did the answer's not everybody, but I mean, we read it today, but he had a specific audience in mind when Matthew wrote the Gospel of Matthew. Who is it? Anybody around here? You know over here? I can't get back there. You got to shout it. It was written to Israel. Give her a book. Uh, right there. It's going to work right over there. It's written to Israel. Um, we're going to give you a copy of He Shall Be Called the Preacher, which is my autobiography. Um, <laughs> about my story about how I grew up on a farm in Canada. If you're a guest, I'm really not. That's not true. That's Erwin Lutzer's autobiography. I didn't grow up on a farm in Canada. Um, all right, so, so ne- next question, right? So this, cause we're going to escalate now. This is a whole nother question, right? So, so here's the question now, right? So, so what happens here, right, is that, um, that in the gospel, well, let's, let's, let's ask it this way. Uh, who came out of Egypt, right? Who went through the water to then be tested in the wilderness? Who? You got an answer, young man? What's the answer? The Israelites. Correct. 
Which I feel like we're giving a book rescuing the gospel, a history of the Reformation. Sorry, kid, we don't have anything other than that right now. So, um, but you're awesome. You're awesome. It's an Erwin Lutzer book as well. But I want to follow up with you, Caleb. I bet you, you know another story as well, right? Let's, no pressure on you in front of thousands of people right now. But you knew it was Israel. But here's my question for you, because Israel came out of Egypt, right? Went through the water, the Red Sea, it was parted. They, they, were in the, uh, they were in the wilderness for 40 years, tested and tempted. But there's another person who actually came out of Egypt where he went uh, as a child, who, who actually was, was baptized in the water by a guy named John. And then right after his baptism was brought out into the desert where for 40 days he was tested. Do you happen to know who that is? Say it, wait, say it, which we hear it? Jesus. You don't get this at a normal church, campers, right now. Do you notice the pattern here? Okay, wait a second, let, let's, see, let, let's see another question here. Okay, so, so good job. So who, who in the Old Testament, why this might be helpful, who in the Old Testament was sort of a at his birth, they were trying to kill off the, the babies around his age. Who in, the, who in the Old Testament? I'm going to come over here to give these people a chance. They're raising their hand. I mean, well, you know, you look too eager. Uh, the, uh, uh, let me give the folks over here a chance, right? So right here. Sorry, sorry. I see you over there, but no, it's too far. It's too much work. Um, don't get this physique from exercising. Um, so in this here. So let me tell the whole question. So, so who in the Old Testament, they tried to... Uh, an evil leader tried to kill off people and he escaped. Who in the Old Testament uh, would, then, would then become a, a leader and an advocate for his people? Who in the Old Testament would go up on a mountain and then come back with laws? Who would it be? Moses. You got it right. Moses. Would you give her a book? This is a copy of actually the book that I read, I wrote, that I had to bring in because they don't sell my book in the bookstore. Um, <laughs> And ma'am, you were so excited. I'm going to give you a book anyway, just because you're that awesome. Go give her a copy of that book right over there. All right, so, so that book, by the way, is Erwin is, uh, Lutzer's newest book, the, the Church in Babylon. I had the privilege of make, writing the foreword to it. It's a brand new book. It's out this week. I want to encourage you to get it. I wrote the foreword to it, so something I wrote would actually be in the church bookstore, and so I'm happy to have that as well. Now, why do we go through all that? Well, let me tell you why. Because I want you to see as the young man talked about over here, that the Gospel of Matthew is written by Matthew, who's a Jewish man, who's writing actually to a Jewish audience. And in writing to a Jewish audience, he's telling us and tying us in to significant events that are actually happening. So congregational participation reminds us that this is the Sermon on the Mount that Jesus gave it, that Matthew recorded it. Now, Matthew is a Jew writing to the people of Israel. It's written by Matthew, so Matthew's writing to the Jewish people. But Matthew's not just writing to the Jewish people. He's reminded us as we've gone through this book that Jesus came out of Egypt, that he went through the water in baptism, that he was tested in the wilderness for 40 days. And every person then would have read that and said, oh, just a reflection of Israel. You see, Jesus is the fulfillment of Israel's hope. And then Jesus here, he goes up on a mountain. This is the same Jesus who Herod tried to wipe out the baby boys in his village. And just like Moses was tried to, they tried to wipe out the Hebrew children. And, and so now Jesus, the same one who they tried to wipe out at his birth, he goes up to a mountain. He shares a new way of life. In the Old Testament, Moses received the laws. He comes down on the tablets. Well, so he learns the this new way of life. And so now Jesus comes 
comes down from the mount just like Moses did because Jesus is the new and the better Moses. So now we come to a turning point in the passage. Jesus comes down from the mountain, right? And when he comes down from the mountain, he is going to model for us Every action in the inspired and inerrant Word of God is recorded for our purpose, for a purpose, for edification, and more. Jesus now is the true and better Moses. Like Moses, he stands in the gap for his people, but he broadens who his people are. Yes, Jesus is the fulfillment of Israel's hope, and he is the true and better Moses. And why this passage we're about to see is so remarkable. Why I love preaching the Word of God and I love preaching Matthew is that he comes down from the mountain, but he's the true and better Moses, so he doesn't just go to his people, he goes to all people, he goes to the outcasts, he goes to the broken, he goes to the hurting, he goes to people like me and you, and thank God 2,000 years later, he still does. So in the next few weeks, we're going to see a leper, a centurion, and a mother-in-law, all outcasts. Now, the mother-in-law is not an outcast because she's a mother-in-law, though I imagine there'll probably be mother-in-law jokes made. But again, she's a woman. And so we find a leper, a centurion, and a woman are the first ones that Jesus goes to after coming down from the mountain. And we'll go over these the next few weeks, but we're going to start today with somebody named a leper. Now, again, we're starting down with a bigger point, though. Jesus comes down for people who need him. And I'm going to be unapologetic and unashamed because I believe that Matthew has organized these things. Matthew's biography is a teaching biography. Matthew's teaching us things by telling us what happens, emphasizing certain points without error in the perfection of God's Word, but pointing us to some amazing amazing truths. Let's take a look at Matthew chapter 8, beginning at verse 1. It says this, when he came down from the mountain, now you get some greater meaning, right? Let's look at the background, right? When he came down from the mountain, great crowds followed him. Now, the Sermon on the Mount was actually a teaching to the disciples, right, to the followers of Jesus. But then something else happened, and behold, a leper. Can I tell you, those are four words that you do not hear much in that day. Behold, a leper came to him and knelt before him, saying, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. And Jesus, Jesus stretched out his hand. Jesus stretched out his hand, and he said to him, just touched him, saying, I will be clean. And immediately his leprosy was cleansed, and Jesus said to him, see that you say nothing to anyone, but go show yourself to the priests and offer the gift that Moses commanded for a proof to them. Interesting stuff, but it begins so clearly, it's important for us not to miss this, right? The reason I did this quiz is I wanted to remind you that a gospel is written by someone, Matthew, right, to someone, in this case the people of Israel, and about someone, Jesus. And they need to know that Jesus is the hope and the fulfillment of Israel's hopes. They need to know that Jesus is the true and better Moses. So what would have been exceedingly obvious to them, and, and really obvious in any commentary that you were to pick up, Jesus begins and he comes down. Let's look at what it says. He says. It says this, he says, when he came down from the mountain, great crowds followed him. A couple of key things here, right? When he came down 
from the mountain is again a reminder as Moses the lawgiver came down from the mountain. Jesus, who said he didn't come to abolish the law but to fulfill it, has now given a new way of living, a kingdom citizen, a, an understanding of the life that you would live as a follower of Jesus. Just as Moses came down with an understanding of with the life that you would live, it's called the law of Moses, right? But it's ultimately God's law in the Old Testament to the people of Israel. So Moses came down with a new way of living. Jesus shared the new way of living and then came down to some outcasts. Don't miss this, right? It says great crowds followed him. Now remember that the Sermon on the Mount is not preached to the great crowds at the beginning. We're actually reminded that it's preached to the disciples, right? It's shared with the disciples. It says this, it says, seeing the crowds, he went on the mountain and when he sat down, his disciples came to them. This is the beginning of the sermon in Matthew chapter 5. So he opened his mouth and taught them. He taught his disciples, this is what a life shaped by the kingdom of God looks like. And then from there, Jesus, the new and better Moses, the greater lawgiver who fulfills the laws he gives, then comes down and goes to the outcast. Jesus just finished the most important sermon by the most important person who ever lived. He was standing on the hill. I don't want you to miss this. This is significant because everyone there would have noticed this. When they read this later, everyone there would have said, oh, because he comes down giving the new gospel. He comes down proclaiming to them that he is the fulfillment of the law. He finishes the most important sermon ever preached. He preaches it to his disciples who are Jewish followers of Jesus. He was standing on a hill reminding them of Moses. He stepped off and he went right to the people who would be considered less by the people to which he shared. Jesus goes to the outcasts. And we're going to see that over the next few weeks, right? Today we're going to talk about bodily uncleanliness. We're going to talk about the leper here in verses 1 through 4. And then we're going to talk about ethnic uncleanliness because he goes to the centurion who's clearly not of the people of Israel. And then we're going to talk about gender uncleanliness and goes to Peter's mother-in-law and more. You know, we, rang, we sang a minute ago, all the poor and powerless. Jesus is reminding us coming off that mountain Matthew is organizing this in such a way that we get that Jesus goes to the poor and the powerless. And thank God, because by the time we're done with this message, you probably already know, but if you don't, you'll know that that's talking about you. So Jesus comes to us, brings the cure for us, and calls us to respond by faith. Let's take a look at the leper first, then we're going to look at the broader characteristics. So the leper, number one on our outline, the leper approaches by faith. Number one on our outline, the leper approaches by faith. It says this specifically, and says, and behold, a leper came to him and knelt before him, saying, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. Um, now, there's a lot of really strong things there that I don't want you to, to miss, right? Remember, Jesus comes to us brings the cure for us, and calls us to respond by faith. But I want you to say a word out loud with me, if you don't mind. Uh, there's these two words right here. It's these two. Let's say them together. And behold. Now, a minute ago when I went down into the congregation, you might have said, well, and behold. Well, you probably didn't say that because that's not how normal people talk. 
But behold is like a moment of almost surprise. Behold, somebody is here. Now here's the reality is if there's ever a person who can't show up suddenly, it's a leper. Because a leper lives in a colony. A leper is actually specifically described in the law that Moses gives, right? It's illegal for a leper to be near anybody who's healthy. Um, It's illegal for a leper to show up and just encounter somebody. So what the leper did was illegal and a violation of the law. So they can't come up to a clean and a healthy person. There was this perception that leprosy was uh, easily contagious. They, and of course, leprosy, when the New Testament writers refer to lepos, leprosy, it actually often refers to a whole possible array of skin diseases. Uh, and so, so they use that term broadly. But, but so if this person came in contact with anybody, let's say, not only might they get the disease, but according to the law of Moses, they would be ceremonially unclean. Now, it's interesting to see how he, what he says. He says, Lord, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. Don't miss that, right? So this leper in his desperation, and you got to get the level of desperation. It probably started off with a, a little rash, and then the law lays out that once you have leprosy, you've got to wear torn clothes. You've got to actually go around announcing your presence as you walk around people saying, unclean, unclean, unclean. So you've got ripped clothes showing you're diseased, and you're self-announcing unclean. So we don't know if this man was a father or a husband, but he ends up with a rash on his arm, and it's not that long where he has to wear torn clothes, live away from people, not be touched by anyone, and say, unclean unclean. So he just comes and he, he kneels before Jesus. He, he breaks the rules. He comes up right to Jesus, right? And he says, Lord, if you will, Lord. That, did you notice that? Not rabbi, not teacher, Lord. You see, he knows. He says, Lord, if you will, all you got to do is will, you can make me clean. The leper comes with a full acknowledgement that in the midst of his shame-filled circumstances, Jesus can make him clean physically, spiritually, emotionally, and more. Throughout Matthew, the Gospel of Matthew, whenever somebody calls Jesus Lord, it's seen as an acknowledgement of Jesus' divinity. Now, mind you, we've, gosh, I mean, we have diseases, and sometimes we have the shared experience of a disease. I bet, I bet some of you have had uh, malaria. If you had malaria, just raise your hand for just a second. Raise your hand if, you had, if you've had malaria. Raise your hand. I see a couple hands. Raise them high. Don't be shy. It's just you're over it. You're not contagious. There's a few. Okay. Um, it depends on where you live. If you, had, if you live in certain places, you probably had malaria. How about chicken pox? Have you had chicken pox? Yeah. 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 If you didn't, um, come around. Hang around. You will soon. Uh, you know, we get that, and, and uh, what happens is there are certain things we have, and we get over them, right? And there are some things that we have that are not able to get. There's no cure for leprosy. So he would never get over it. And what happens is when we have it, we sort of keep away from people. You remember when you had 
malaria. You, uh, maybe people didn't want to be around you. Maybe when you had the chicken pox. It was actually interesting. When, my, when I was a kid, they had what are called chicken pox parties. And they wanted to get all the kids before school over chicken pox. And they, so they brought us all over. My mother brought us all over to this kid with chicken pox. And I'm not sure I shouldn't file a lawsuit about that. That just seems, hey, here's an infectious disease. Let's bring it on my kids. But Jesus, so every, watch this. This is a real story about a real circumstance, but I want you not to miss this, right? Because of the placement that Matthew places this, when he talks about uncleanliness, bodily uncleanliness, ethnic uncleanliness, and gender uncleanliness, I'm convinced that Matthew is also teaching us, the Holy Spirit guiding Matthew to teach us a broader lesson. I want you not to miss this. We are all as sick as the leper, unable to heal ourselves, but Jesus comes to us, brings the cure for us, and calls us to respond by faith. Now, I don't want you to miss that because it doesn't end there. It's fascinating what happens here because number two on our outline is Jesus uh, touches the leper. Now, don't miss this because this leper has not been touched since he saw the rash somewhere on his body. He's by nature of the law, nobody in Israel can touch him. So he's been untouched, which today we know that a person who isn't touched goes through mental and psychological trauma and more. And so he's been untouched by anybody. We don't know how long he's been a leper or with leprosy, but Jesus touches the leper. Now this is the worst thing you can do is touch somebody in this state. It actually makes you unclean. It's as, as a matter of fact, to be honest, it's as shocking as a leper coming up, behold a leper and kneeling down before Jesus in the midst of a crowd, just as shocking would be then Jesus. It says, and Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him. He said, well, he touched him to heal him. Nope, just a few verses from now, Jesus heals somebody without touching him. So Jesus doesn't need to touch the leper to heal the leper. He touches the leper for some greater purpose. So as Moses came down from the mountain with the law to form a new people, Jesus comes down from the mount with a new way of life, a new kingdom, and the first thing he does is touch a filthy, sick leper. And thank God, because the same is true for me and for you. Jesus chooses to get in proximity. He enters in with a touch. We know from the, again, the very next verses, he doesn't need to touch the leper, but he chooses to. He, he chooses to defile himself. At this point, Jesus was no longer clean ceremonially. He had violated now the Jewish law. He, by touching this unclean leper, he was now defiled. I don't want you to miss this. Aren't you thankful that Jesus chose to take your sickness and sin on him on the cross? It's a picture of what's coming, isn't it, right? He chooses to reach out physically to the outcast to show his grace. And Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him. But it doesn't end there. Number three on our outline, Jesus heals the leper. Praise God. 
Now, if it's true that Matthew has put these things together, I've gone through them already, bodily uncleanliness, ethnic uncleanliness, and gender uncleanliness, to say these are three groups that might have been left out of the message of the kingdom, and Jesus then comes and he says this. It says, saying, I will be, I will be clean. And immediately his leprosy was cleansed. So Jesus touched him saying, I will. That's all it needed. Those two words from Jesus, I will, right? I will changes everything, right? And that's always the case, right? So Jesus heals a man just by saying, I will be clean. And immediately his leprosy was cleansed. And on the cross, we would see Jesus say, it is finished and it will be done for you healed of your sin and sickness. Because just the words of Jesus changes, changes everything. You see, Jesus comes to us, brings the cure for us, and calls us to respond by faith. Jesus here is showcasing his power and his authority. And then there's this fascinating background here because Jesus, well, number four in our outline, Jesus instructs the leper. Right, the leper approaches him in faith. Behold, I mean, you're not supposed to do this. Jesus touches the leper. You're not supposed to do that. Jesus heals the leper by becoming ceremonially unclean. He then heals because of who he is. Jesus instructs the leper. And Jesus said to him, it goes on, Jesus said to him, see that you say nothing to anyone, which is a strange phrase. I'm going to explain it. But go show yourself to the priest and offer the gift that Moses commanded for a proof to them. Now, uh, Jesus, early on in his ministry, told people not to tell others. And later on, he told us to tell everyone. We're at that season when he often tells people not to tell others because he's not yet ready for his message to be known. But later he is. This is a weighty powerful and necessary moment. Now, what's interesting here is Jesus says, see, you say nothing to anyone, but go show yourself to the priest and offer the gift that Moses commanded. If you didn't get the Moses connection by now, Matthew's bringing it around again. So, what's interesting, if you go to Leviticus 14, we won't go there for the sake of time, it's a whole chapter on what you're supposed to do. It says, this shall be the law of the leprous person for the day of his cleansing. He'll be brought up to the priest, and the priest shall go out of the camp, and the priest shall look. Then if the case of the leprous disease is healed in the leprous person, the priest shall command them to take him in to be cleansed. Uh, two live clean birds and cedarwood and scarlet yarn and, yarn and hyssop. And it goes on later and says, then the priest shall put some of that oil in the hand of the lobe of the right ear of him who's to be cleansed. The level of detail is profound. It ends in verse 32, 31 and 32. The priest shall make atonement before the Lord for him who's being cleansed. This is the law for him in case of the leprous disease who cannot afford the offerings of his cleansing. I want you to miss that because why? Because Jesus is reminding us of the law of the Old Testament, which might I say beautifully ends with, and the priest shall make atonement for the leprous person before the Lord for whom is being cleansed. This is the law in him, in, for him in whom is a case of leprous disease who cannot afford the offerings for his cleansing. Can I just tell you, none of us can afford the offerings for our own cleansing. It's weighty and powerful reality. Jesus commands the man to follow the laws of Moses that end with a reminder that atonement is needed and we can't afford it ourselves. So I, I don't want to end just here because I'm really struck by the fact that 
Matthew is giving us a very clear message. That message is the healing for you. Jesus comes to us, brings the cure for us, and calls us to respond by faith. So I'm really convinced that this is central to our shame and our brokenness and our forgiveness. So I went to a Cubs game this week because uh, it's Chicago and it's the law here. You have to root for the Cubs. I'm a Cubs fan because I've, uh, they're better and uh, I'm totally a Fairweather fan. I didn't know anything about it before I came, but you know, I've never lived in a Chicago when the Cubs weren't recently in a World Series. And so I don't know, I'm all in, Northsiders. Um, had to Google that to know what it meant, but I'm all in, Northsiders. So uh, I'm sitting here watching the game, was the one we, that the Cubs did well in, um, eight to four. Royals? Was that the Royals? No, it wasn't the Royals. The Brewers. They beat the Brewers, I think. I hope so. I was there and they got a lot of touchdowns. Um, <laughs> and there's a lot of interesting things going on to me, but I'm sort of a preacher and I'm an observer, so I'm sort of watching people do different things. And, and one of them was this picture comes up on the screen. Now, I don't know a lot of things. Um, this actually is the big board. It, it said Budweiser on the top, but I noticed the staff edited that out, and I appreciate that. Um, but this is actually out here in, in, would that be right field? It gets right field. And you recognize some of the names of the players on the Cubs, right? And so, but and there's a lot of things that are fascinating. For example, why is the world is this guy allowed to go to bat? But that's another story. His batting average is .065. That's the pitcher, for those of you who might not know. But here's the thing about this that I found so fascinating and troubling at the same time. Uh, first of all, most of our stars fail most of the time. This is their batting average, which means that they get a hit, they get on base at a certain percentage. So Baez, .291. I mean, that's not so good, right? I mean, I don't know a lot about baseball, but shouldn't you have more than that, right? Um, Bote, Boat, I don't know that's for sure. 338, look better than the rest of them, right? So, but here's the thing. Um, so someone gets up to bat, and I'm just sort of fascinated that as they walk up to bat, this comes on the screen, right? It's kind of like the shaming right there in front of tens of thousands of people that you fail most of the time. And I'm thinking, if that's not bad enough, right, so they get up there, right, and, and somebody strikes out, I forget who it is, but somebody strikes out, and before they walk back to the dugout, their score goes down <laughs> in front of thousands of people, including themselves. I'd be like, I'm a failure. I just failed more. See, but here's, here's the thing, man. I don't want to live. Aren't you thankful that you're, that you're a performance and your ability at work is not on a board that everyone sees? Aren't you thankful that as you walk through life, like as a dad I am, that I don't walk in and my kids are like, man, you're like a four today on a 10-point scale. Right? And I'm so glad that that's not the case, but they're failures. Literally, you walk up and there is the fact that you fail most of the time. And what's interesting is this, is that that leper man, he, he walked around and everybody knew he was at zero. There was nothing left. There was no hope. He was lost. 
he was trapped. There was no path forward. And by, by the way, might I add, coming up, you're going to see that next week everybody knows that the centurion is a Roman and they got nothing coming good from them from God. And then the week after, everyone knows that she's a woman and she isn't of equal value and worth before God. Everybody knows that that's the case except Jesus. So, but Jesus changes all of this, doesn't he? There's no big sign showing our shame anymore. And here's what I want you not to miss. Let's just go through this together. First, letter A. Man, we're all lepers. I want you not to miss this. You and I are all. We talked about this last week. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. I want you to acknowledge that you, without Christ, have a sickness that doesn't go away on your own that has stained you and the depth of it has changed you. And Jesus comes down off the mount. He's among us, right? Uh, Charles Wesley writes the song, And Can It Be That I Should Gain? Here's what he says. He left his father's throne above, so free, so infinite his grace, emptied himself of all but love, then bled for Adam's helpless race. That was you without Christ. But then in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 14, it says this, Since then we have such a great high priest who has passed through the heavens. Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast to our confession. You see, Jesus comes to us. Right? Comes to that mountain. Jesus comes to us, brings the cure for us, and we respond calls us to respond to him by faith. And that's just it. Like, look at what the leper does. We follow along, right? We approach him, letter B. We approach him in faith. I mean, that's what the whole message is here, right? It's not just about a leper, but think about the writer of Hebrews in Hebrews 4.16 who says, let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace. Maybe that's why the leper just is there. Behold, there's a leper. Because he said, that's Jesus. That's the Lord. Let us approach with confidence, draw near to the throne of grace, so we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. And it's ultimately responding in faith to what God has done. Hebrews 11:6 6 says, without faith it's impossible to please him. Thank God that this leper just said, Lord, you can heal me. Whoever would draw near to God must believe he exists, that he rewards those who seek him. That's what happened with this leper. And I believe that Matthew puts this in these three outcasts so that we can see ourselves in the picture that Jesus comes to us, brings the cure for us, and calls us to respond by faith. Don't miss this, right? You don't have to do this on your own. Jesus comes near. It's not, it's not you working your way to him. Jesus comes there. He came down from the mountain and came to the outcasts. All of us feel the shame. Listen, I, I get this. All of us here, we feel a sense of shame at the things we've done or maybe where we're living right now. And there's a shame that's coming. Jesus comes to us. Man, you out there addicted to porn? You out there who's got a record and you're running from somebody? You out there who's been abusive? You out there who's just living your life of running away from God? You out there who's living a life that is not glorifying Him? And yes, sometimes as a follower of Jesus, we still do those things because that sickness is healed, but sometimes it bubbles back up. A lot of us had chicken pox, but a lot fewer of us had shingles, but it's the same thing. Sometimes it bubbles back, but Jesus 
comes near. You see, don't miss this, right? Hebrews 4.15 says this, we don't have a high priest who's unable to sympathize with our weakness, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are yet without sin. Or how about 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21, for our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God in him. Don't miss that the moment that Jesus touched that leper, that to the people around him, Jesus was then unclean. Jesus took the sickness of the leper the moment he touched him. And I want you to not miss this. Jesus took all of your sin and all of your shame and all of your fear and all of your running, and he took it and God nailed it to the cross. And in doing so, Jesus said, it is finished. He brought the victory, and just as the leper has been healed, so can you be. So your response, come and kneel and ask Jesus to make you clean. That's what the leper did. And the leper, I think, is a picture of all of us, outcast without Christ. Right? A real story really happened, but Matthew arranges it in such a way to remind us that coming from the mountain, a picture that he would come down from heaven, coming from the mountain, he comes to the lepers, he comes to the outcasts, and I want you not to miss this, right? I'm as much of an outcast as the leper is without Christ, and so are you. Don't miss this. It says he knelt before him saying, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. Now, I want to ask at this time for, actually, I want to ask for our prayer partners to come right now. Why don't you come stand at the places you normally are while everyone else is seated. I know that's a little awkward, but I want our prayer partners to come because I want people to see where you are. Because I know that there were a bunch of you last week who indicated you committed your lives to Christ. You said, I'm going to take this next step. And maybe today you've heard this message and you've said, Ed, this is me. I'm the leper. I'm unclean. Well, so was I without Christ. Sometimes I need to call upon him that the disease sort of pokes back up sometimes in my life like shingles after chicken pox. I find that, you know, here, here it is again, and I, and I got to come before the Lord and say, Lord, heal me, make me clean, forgive me. But here's the great thing. He came down from that mountain and went to the unclean. Jesus comes to us, brings the cure for us, and calls us to respond by faith the first time, and then every time the rest of my life. So the song we're going to sing is, talks about this. It starts with, are you hurting and broken within? Overwhelmed by the weight of your sin, Jesus is calling. Have you come to the end of yourself? Do you thirst for a drink from the well? Jesus is calling, come to the altar. So in just a moment, I'm going to invite you to do that very thing. But also, I want you to notice something, too. I'm going to pray with you in just a moment. And if you prayed with me last week or just recently have trusted Christ, I'm going to ask you to do something that may seem a little scary, but it'll help you on your journey of faith. 
in all the seats here, and if you're watching online, you can email us, but in all the seats around this sanctuary, there's a little card. And you say, well, hey, we turned that in already. That was for the offering. They're still there. And if you look at them, what you'll see on there, it says, I began a relationship with Jesus. If you were trusted Christ and had enough courage last week to sort of lift your hand and say, Ed, I did. I want to ask you to take, I have enough courage to lift your hand again, pick up a pen, check, I begun a relationship with Jesus, and then for you to share it with these people here or at the welcome desk out there. Because all of us need to acknowledge that with others we come to Jesus. And we want to help you on your journey. We want to help you on this path. So I really want to encourage you today that in the quietness of this moment that the Lord is maybe speaking to you. And I don't know how he is, and, but here's what I know. That without Christ, and we're all the leper in that state, without Christ, we're all those who are stuck, stagnant, and trapped. And Jesus comes to us, brings the cure for us, and calls us to respond by faith. Would you stand with me for just a moment? Just want to bow your heads for just a second, right? Took you a long time to get here, getting by the air and water show. Might take us a couple minutes here just at the end. But I want you just to bow your heads with me. Would you do that? Father, as we bow our heads together today, I pray you might speak to women and men, young people all across this room, worshiping with us online. Father, I pray that you might speak to your people today. If you're here today and you haven't trusted Christ as Lord and Savior, I know there's some, there's some every single week. And I don't want you to leave here today without like the leper responding in faith, Lord, I need you. Lord, I call out to you. There's no shame. No one's carrying around a billboard of your life. Maybe you felt that way for a long time. Jesus today forgives your sin, removes your shame, gives you freedom in him, gives you eternal life, and more if you'll call upon his name. I want to pray for you to do that right now. Father, I pray in the quietness of this moment for women and men, young people may not know you. Just with your head bowed, your eyes closed, I want you to think, is that you? And I'm talking about the shame and the leper and the, the sickness that pervaded everything. Is that how you feel? Is that a person carrying around a sign saying, man, look how much of a mess you are. And Jesus is calling. Right? He comes down from the mountain. Right? He comes down. He, don't, 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 don't miss it. Right? He comes for us, but he calls us to respond by grace and through faith. If that's where you are right now, I just want to pray for you. I want you to pray this prayer, if it's a prayer of your heart. I want you to say, Lord Jesus, forgive me of my sin. Lord Jesus, come into my heart. I want you to heal my sin sickness that's so deep, that's so filled with shame, that I call upon you, Jesus, right now. Forgive me. Come into my heart. Be my Savior and be my Lord Jesus. Father, I pray for people who just prayed that prayer, that, Lord, for just a moment you give them one small step of courage to fill out a card or even more boldly to come and pray with one of our prayer partners now who are up at the balcony standing, who are standing down front, while we all come to the altar and trust you. 
If you're a follower of Jesus, maybe there's sin in your life just been stuck and has got you stagnant. Can you come to the altar? Maybe you just need to come and pray here. This altar is open for you to pray. Maybe you want to pray with one of our prayer partners, but might you call out to Jesus and say, Lord, forgive me. The sickness has come back up. I ask your grace and your forgiveness, and he'll make it clean. He'll forgive. He'll make it right. That's what he does. He's Jesus. So if you're hurting and broken within, overwhelmed by the weight of your sin, Jesus is calling.